Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Apollo 11, Beyond the Moon. I'm Brian Stelter, CNN's chief media correspondent. And today, we're going to take you inside the media moment that was the moon landing. Picture this. It's Sunday, July 20th, 1969. It's the middle of summer all across the United States. And the entire country, 125 million Americans, are glued to their television screens awaiting the moment that Neil Armstrong will take his first steps on the moon. This was brought into the homes of people all across the country and all around the world, thanks to the big networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC, and thanks to the television equipment that was installed on the lunar module by NASA. Nowadays, in this fragmented media world, it is hard to imagine what that moment must have been like. Everybody all watching the same thing. But let's go back in time now with Douglas Brinkley, CNN historian and author of the brand new book, American Moonshot, all about the 60s and the space race culminating in this incredible day, 1969. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Also joining us here, CNN's innovation and space correspondent, Rachel Crane. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thank you both for being here. Douglas, you're just out with this this new book all about uh, JFK his ambitions to to get America to the moon, and then that accomplishment at the end of the 60s. Um, But let's go back even further. You were born not far from Neil Armstrong uh, in Ohio, right? Yeah, I grew up in a town called Perrysburg, Ohio, which wasn't too far from Wapakoneta. So in the big day of Apollo 11, Neil Armstrong's famous moment on the moon, um, we were all cheering like banshees because it was the home, <laughs> the homeboy uh, was being the first human being on the moon. It was quite a big deal. And uh, like many in my generation, and particularly boys that age, we were collecting uh, NASA memorabilia of all the astronauts, trading them like playing cards, yeah. uh, baseball players players and the like. And later, I got to do the official oral history of Neil Armstrong for NASA in 2001. I conducted that. And in the book, which which uses those oral histories, you write about the night, watching the moon landing at night. Take us back to what you remember uh, as as a boy watching this historic event unfold. 
Well, the big thing was, you know, the timing. And so we'd have to sleep differently and nap differently to be up for when the moment happened. Right. Uh, and I re- and that was odd that we were juggling our entire calendar um, to stay up for it. Just to but be awake for the moment, right? Because moment. we all knew it was going to be coming up at, what, almost 11 p.m. Eastern time. Well, and that's right. And the, when he finally put his foot on the moon and we realized we did it, it just, you know, with the whole family just erupted in cheers, telephone <laughs> everybody talking. I mean, this was a moment you had 500. I was just one of 550 million people around the world watching, listening to radio. And if I've gone around the country on my book, American Moonshot, people of a certain generation all remember where they were that day. We often talk in history about these big moments like Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, or Kennedy assassination or 9-11, but they're all tragedies. Right. Mm-hmm. Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong was a, a, was a great moment for all of humanity. And television played a key role in generating support for the space race in the first place. I mean, that's something to, to recognize that having cameras, having live coverage, uh, having the ability to witness all of this. Uh, ensured that more Americans were on board to spend enormous sums of money for this. It's all about TV. Uh, John F. Kennedy, um, during his debates with Richard Nixon, said to Nixon, if you're elected president, I see a Soviet flag planted on the moon. If you elect me, it'll be an American flag. Then Kennedy started doing his press conferences and got great play on TV. But it's when Alan Shepard went into space as a counterstatement to Yuri Gagarin, the Soviet cosmonaut. That's May 5th, 1961. Kennedy could not believe how many millions of people tuned in for Alan Shepard and then particularly watching on the nightly news, Reed brought afterwards, and then particularly with John Glenn in 1962. The point being um, that Kennedy recognized that this was a TV bonanza, put an astronaut up, bring him down, and they start being seen as Kennedy Space Corps. And at the news uh, outlets, particularly CBS, I wrote Walter Cronkite's biography, Mm -hmm. Cronkite had been hobby Forcing the space beat since the 1950s, mid 50s, when there was no space beat. He right. had his binders and was going to, you know, Cape Canaveral and working out of a station wagon and all of that. Mm. And so he really started tracking. Also, the networks loved space because they could train the camera on the launch pad. They had a countdown. It was dramatic. It would get some, you know, and nobody knew if you were going to come back alive right. or not. Stakes uh, are high. 50 50 chance when I interview Neil Armstrong that they, Armstrong thought of success for Apollo 11. 50 50. Wait, success meaning getting back alive? Well, he didn't say it that way. He said that they, we, we might have to be aborted the mission at some point. But the idea that it would go smoothly was about 50 50. Right, and so taken for granted now. Well, and William Sapphire, the speechwriter for Richard Nixon, wrote a whole letter waiting for Nixon to say, I'm sorry, Armstrong, Aldrin and Collins died. Um, that letter exists. You can read it as a historian. So now we know it was a success. But at the time, it was a hair raising pins and needles situation yeah. because Apollo 1 blew up. Uh, 1967 on the launch pad and Gus Grissom and Roger Chafee and Ed White perished in a fireball and a test exercise. So the odds of Apollo 11 working flawlessly, um, they they were even. Mm. And Rachel, I think there's a real parallel between the days of Apollo and and now with regards to the role of the media in bringing these events uh, 
back then into people's homes, but now into people's cell phones. Right. And every screen imaginable. Right. Of course. I mean, right now, if SpaceX has a catastrophe, you see it on Twitter moments later and there's GoPros all over the the rocket itself. So the imagery that we have now um, is, you know, really brings you right up to the flight line almost of these launches. Um, And there's so much excitement, Brian, right now surrounding space exploration because it really does feel once again like space is cool, um, that there's big things happening in space. Mm. And, you know, there's no greater discovery exploration story than that of human beings going and exploring sp- space. I mean, it is it is in our DNA to explore, and we are all want to know where we came from. We've all always looked up at the cosmos and, and contemplated um, our origin story. There's the practical and the poetic motivations to exploring space. On the practical, uh, the arguments why to do it, you have, uh, you know, it's it spawns technologies development. There's jobs, education, national security, planetary defense, even, you know, that we need a plan B. What's mm-hmm. going on with climate change, what's happening to our planet, that we need to ensure uh, the survival of, of mankind. Um, but there's also the poetic argument um, and motivation to go, that we want to know where we've come from, that it is that it is in our DNA to explore. Yeah, from the days that we walked out of caves to see the light. Exactly. And Douglas, I feel like the anchors 50 years ago, the best anchors, understood this. Cronkite, uh, you know, um, in his own way, brought the majesty of the moment alive through his words and through the pictures. I thought it was Cronkite's greatest broadcast moment was covering of Apollo 11. You know, he he would go on for hours on end. He became known as the Iron Man of broadcasting. He was the most trusted person in America, as he would soon be called. And he just did a flawless job. He had consulted people like Arthur C. Clarke, the great science fiction writer. You know, he had people like Wally Schirra, one of the original Mercury astronauts, as anchor buddy. He, um, you know, t- t- dealt with um, the history of space in fantasy realms like, uh, f- you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. He would mm. talk about everything in such an informed way because he w- really believed that that moment was the greatest moment of the 20th century. He had covered D-Day as the United Press International Correspondent, and so he knew about D-Day. But he thought that we broke the shackles of Earth in 1969 after the tumultuous 60s of the death of RFK and Martin Luther King Jr., Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. country torn apart, and then it's like a a psalm, everybody pulling together for this um, grand historic moment. And he had gotten to know the astronauts and their wives in a deeply personal way. In retrospect, what Cronkite didn't cover was that these were all white men, 5'10", and and, uh, under that were in Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo, meaning it wasn't representative of diversity. And that there were women who had trained to be astronauts called the Mercury 13. They passed all of Dr. Randy Lovelace's endurance test, Mm. but uh, due to gender bias, they weren't allowed to be in the astronaut corps. So it's not until Sally Ride 1983 Mm. that we have a first American woman in space 
space. But now when we talk about going back to the moon, like Vice President Pence did in Huntsville, Alabama in the spring, um, I think the big motivator may be the first woman on the moon. If we're going back to the moon, there has to be a woman astronaut. And that will be a big, big event. That will be a TV moment that will start galvanizing people. The problem with Apollo 11 was after we went to the moon, ratings started dropping off for the other Apollo missions. Oh, really? Yeah, they they just weren't the bonanza anymore. Interesting. And, and so Nixon cancels the last um, three Apollo missions, just scraps them because um, figures it's too risky. I'm not getting the big ratings. And with the chance of dead astronauts on my watch are very, mm. very high. Well, I also think wow. that the ratings that you're speaking of, the dwindling ratings, also speaks to the excitement of the American people surrounding lunar missions. You know, at the time, even right after Apollo 11's successful mission, uh, American support of uh, of the Apollo program was only at 53 percent. So, you know, we kind of look back at history with these rose colored uh, glasses on. and We think that the moon landing was this thing that really unified not only America, but the world. And it certainly did to an extent. But, you know, a lot of people uh, were not convinced that the financial burden of pulling off this mission, which, you know, 4 percent of the federal budget, over 4 percent of the federal budget was dedicated to the Apollo program, that it was really worth it. Um, And Mm. so then the Apollo program was uh, canceled early. And we haven't had a man on the moon or a woman on the moon or a man back on the moon, let alone a woman on the moon, (laughs) since the 70s. And our fifth and final episode is all about the future of space, what what that's going to look like, whether it's going to be back on the moon, whether it's going to be going to Mars. uh, And there's a lot to think about. And, about what that picture is going to be. You know, what's interesting is that we were just talking about Americans' support of uh, a moon landing back in the day. R- well, right now, a, uh, a recent Pew Research study showed that only 13 percent of uh, Americans think that sending humans to the moon should be a top priority. And only 18 percent of people think that going to Mars should be a priority of NASA. So, you know, while I'm quite biased because I myself am a space enthusiast, <laughs> the American people, you know, while space is certainly cool and it's having a moment, not everybody is convinced that the financial burden that pulling off these missions uh, is really warranted. But you know what is um, that everybody wants is a moonshot. People are looking for that grand moment. Something big. Something big. And so Mm -hmm. many people, what you're suggesting, are saying we need an earth shot. Right. We have to attack climate change. Exactly. Um, But Buzz Aldrin thinks we need a Mars shot. And Joe Biden works with MD Anderson and calls it a cancer shot to eradicate cancer. But the frustration of this partisan warfare that we're in right now, there's this dream of when can we can all do a grand collective thing together, universities, academicians, working with the private sector, working with the federal government. In the 60s, I argue in my book, if Kennedy had not been killed, I'm not sure that 4.4% funding for NASA could have continued for Apollo. There were a lot of people that didn't want to go to the moon. On the right, Barry Goldwater, senator of Arizona, wanted the money to go to the U.S. Air Force and to militarize space. And on the left, people like Jay, uh, uh, William Fulbright, senator of Arkansas, and Walter Mondale were opposed to going to the moon. They wanted to fight urban poverty. And many African-American leaders like Reverend Ralph Abernathy said no moon. But the day of when they that we of the launching of, of they, they all fell in the line and said we want these astronauts to come back alive and we're right. proud of them looking at the the tapes looking at the coverage on CBS and the other networks 
What stood out to you when, when you rewatch these scenes 50 years later? Just how, even though we know the result now, like in the Apollo 11 documentary, how nervous I still get. Hmm. Meaning, even though we know it's a success, it's just like, my gosh, are they going to make it? And I think the Apollo 13 movie um, is is so popular with Tom Hanks. And that was a mission that almost was utter disaster that every time I see an astronaut in space, I'm worried about them coming back. But also, I think it's the image of Earth, like the Bill Anders photograph of uh, Earthrise, the idea that we were aiming for the moon, but it was really about looking at planet Earth, you know, lonely, you know, blue-green marble floating out there. Um, that brings the – you use the word romantic, but spiritual mm-hmm. feeling of space exploration. Uh, and then – also, I realized that we have done a lot since Apollo, not just in the private sector, but what Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Caltech Pasadena does with the Mars and the, and the Mars rover and Mars exploration have been phenomenal, but they may, it just hasn't captured more than the, that, you know, 13 to 25 percent of the American public's interested, but a large part of our country just seems to tune it out. And I mm. think that's also because you don't have, you know, a human... You don't have a pulse landing on Mars or or on the moon right now. And people, you know, that gives people real skin in the game when they feel like a human life is on the line. They can see themselves um, in uh, whoever that astronaut is. People watch people. Right. You want to watch someone on a journey. It feels like a real journey. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, And I think what you were talking about, that's also why NASA's space programs, they turned more towards Earth um, following the Apollo program and, you know, started focusing on ISS and the shuttle program and what have you to, you know, instead of looking outward, start looking more inward. And I think now we are at a time or NASA is at a point where they're ready to look outward again. And that's why you have, um, you know, new missions to the moon on the horizon and hopefully Mars. And and the thing is, is had we never landed on the moon, had NASA never pulled that off, had America never pulled that off, It would just seem like hot air talking about potentially going to Mars. And I don't think that anybody would give credence to any talk uh, about a Mars mission had we never landed on the moon and had the broadcasting of that not been so, Mm. um, so intense and just, you know, so visceral. Right. There are lessons from 50 years ago that apply today. Uh, Wrapping up, Douglas, I wonder what what you think the the biggest takeaway is from your research for, for American Moonshot, what the lesson should be as uh, everyone looks to the 50th anniversary of this? Well, that we have to do space exploration in the name of peace, not war, um, and that we have to have a, a spur. Uh, when One of the last things Neil Armstrong did was said to Aldrin, did you leave the packet on the moon? And Aldrin leaves a packet, and in it were medals commemorating the Soviet cosmonauts who had died in their space program. And we did that because without the competition, like John F. Kennedy at his Rice University speech put in there, you know, why do we climb Mount Everest? Why does Rice play University of Texas in football? It's a challenge. So it might be China and all that they're doing on the dark side of the moon and um, the Chinese space program that makes Americans say, we want to go back to the moon before China. We want to go to Mars before any other country. Nationalism might uh, might 
um, be what what triggers the funding. As they used to say in NASA, no bucks, no Buck Rogers. Apollo program caught cost twenty five billion dollars. That's about one hundred and eighty billion in today's money. And uh, in order to stoke the imagination, you need the media to cover space in a way that's prime and, and front and center, not just on a NASA channel that uh, only space buffs watch. Kennedy said in that speech, the vast stretches of the unknown and the unanswered and the unfinished still far outstrip our collective comprehension. And those words are true today. There's, there's still so much we don't know. <laughs> Kennedy's Rice University speech of September 12, 1962, is the finest utterance of any president dealing with public discovery and the power of exploration. And he called, connected our astronauts in that speech to age of exploration of the oceans, to Christopher Columbus and Magellan and the like. Um, and, and he knew that we were getting spinoff technology from going to the moon, right. things like mm-hmm. GPS and MRI. CAT scans, heart defibrillators, anti-icing devices. One could go on and on. It earned itself eventually going to the moon by all that spinoff technology. Yeah, if people have not read the speech or, or haven't read it in a while, Google it. It's worth rereading. It's right up there on NASA.gov, right. the entire text of Kennedy's speech. The other thing, Brian, that I just wanted to add, too, is I, that speaks to the moment in time that we are in terms of, of the media's coverage of space is that I have a job that I am the space reporter for CNN. CNN hasn't had a space reporter in quite some time. But as you pointed out earlier, people are looking for something to root for. They're looking for something to be inspired by. And there's nothing more inspiring, in my opinion, uh, than space exploration. Rachel, thanks so much for being here. And Douglas, best of luck with the new book. Again, the title is American Moonshot, John F. Kennedy and the Great Space Race. It is an excellent read. Thank you. Up next here on our podcast, the man on the moon and the birth of the modern American conspiracy theory. The idea that all of this was a hoax. We'll be right back with that. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. 
Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to Apollo 11, Beyond the Moon. This iconic REM song perfectly describes the astonishment and the disbelief that many Americans felt, and some still do feel, about the moon landing. The space race not only spawned incredible innovation and scientific advancement, but it also created a a new generation of conspiracy theories. Fifty years later, we are swimming in conspiracy theories. So it's worth taking a minute to talk about the mission to the moon in this crazy context. And we found the perfect person to make sense of it. Elizabeth Svoboda is a writer and expert on the psychology behind conspiracy theories. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. A big question right off the top here. Why are people so drawn to conspiracy theory thinking, even though there's so much proof uh, of the Apollo 11 moon landing. Right. Well, in general, I think we tend to latch on to conspiracy theories in part as a way to make sense of events like the moon landing that sort of threaten the ideas we have about how the world and the universe work. So if, if something like the moon landing happens that seems like it's impossible, uh, we might be you know, drawn to come up with reasons that that event couldn't have happened. And that helps us sort of keep our previous worldview intact. So thinking about the 1960s and the moon landing coming at the end of an incredibly tumultuous time of progress and controversy and chaos, you're saying that disbelieving helps people kind of make sense of it all. Absolutely. Um As you said, things happen really, really quickly in terms of progress in space. Uh, The first manned spaceflight was 1961. All of a sudden, 1969, here's the moon landing. And so a lot of people probably felt like they didn't have time to adjust to this incredible pace of what was going on. And so the conspiracy theories were their way of trying to make the world seem more predictable, and that can be very comforting to people. So when did the man didn't land on the moon? It was it was all staged in front of a green screen or on a studio back lot. When did when did that uh, thought process start to emerge? Was it was it within days or weeks of the moon landing? Well, I think the seeds of it were planted right away with some of the initial media coverage. Um, you got to remember that a lot of what appeared on TV and in newspapers was very limited. Um, It was missing a lot of technical detail. And in fact, some of the photographs published were actually wrong. There was one newspaper that actually printed a boot print that was not a boot print in lunar soil. It was just some random thing that, that they had come up with. So people felt like, you know, this crazy event is coming out of the blue. But there is a similarity between uh, 50 years ago and today insofar as truthers using out-of-context clips from television or mistakes in the newspaper and seizing on those as evidence of a plot. Interesting. Absolutely. It's sort of this cherry-picking of evidence. And sometimes I think the people that are doing it are not even conscious of the fact that they're 
cherry picking. They they are just so invested in this theory that they've come up with or that they've come to believe that they are selective about the evidence they use, maybe without even I- intending ill intent. It, it's just sort of the track that their mind is on and they, they don't really have a way to get off of it. Let's also remember, as we talk about conspiracy theories, the word conspiracy means something more specific. And there are real-life conspiracies. Uh, there are reasons for people to be skeptical of what the government does in their name. It's just that conspiracy theories uh, take on outlandish proportions, uh, go in every conceivable direction, and something like staging the moon landing on a Hollywood backlot, <laughs> you know, it, right. is, is to me laughable. But, but again, you're, you're describing how people can be uh, seduced by these ideas. And when it comes to something like NASA and missions to the moon, which involved hundreds of thousands of people, that's a lot of people to have involved in a cover-up. Uh, and I say that as someone whose uh, grandfather uh, worked worked on Apollo and had a, had a small role uh, running communications for these missions. I, I suppose the, the best responses to something like the moon landing hoax is what? Is it to... Is it to present the stories of the real people who were involved? What, is, what does the science tell us about countering conspiracy theories? Right. Well, I think, you know, one of the best things that you can do if, you know, you have somebody in your family or somebody you know who's really into some of these conspiracy theories is, well, we do have so much real information at our fingertips from established sources, so you can actually just pull out your phone, like, go to the official NASA website, go to published scientific papers, and, you know, get the real facts out there. Tell them what the truth is about what happened. And, you know, you may not end up convincing a true believer of the truth of the situation. Some of these people are just too far gone with their theories. But I think part of the issue is that, especially in this political moment, we have this huge distrust right now of established authority. So whereas in the past, we might accept the expert's explanation that, no, this video is not doctored, here's the signature showing that it's true, etc., people aren't as likely to just buy those kinds of explanations anymore. And so it creates this environment that's really rife for more conspiracy theories to pop up. Our brave new world. Uh, My goodness. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you for the lessons from the past as well. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all of you for joining us here on Apollo 11 Beyond the Moon. Be sure to tune in for our fifth and final episode, where we'll be discussing the future of space exploration and travel with space geeks Miles O'Brien and Rachel Crane. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 